0: Can I welcome you to this evening of Poetry Unites on what's appropriately World Book Day. Um, My name is Sarah Salway and I'm hosted here at the LSE as the Royal Literary Fund Fellow and I'm also the Canterbury Laureate. We're working with arts people in the Kent area. Part of my remit is to encourage an appreciation of poetry in the community, even to the extent of one day we're planning in October where we are currently trying to persuade local shops to accept a poem in lieu of currency
1: as a way of
0: raising the question of the concrete value of creative work. So um, if anyone's got a sonnet that they want to exchange for a Ferrari, you can see me later and I'll give you the date. As you may have seen from the program, we have apologies from Dr. Michelle Rusnik, who had been going to join us. But I'm um, particularly happy to welcome my two fellow panel members over here uh, Eva Zadrinsky, who, as part of her work with the Evans Foundation, has been encouraging poetry enthusiasts of all ages and experiences around the world. To share their favorite poems on film and by doing so to talk about their lives and the meaning of their lives in general. The films are shown on Polish public television as well as other venues and Eva's going to be presenting five of these short films for us later tonight. Um, My other guest is Philip Gross who's been described variously as a writer of many parts Um, as well as being a professor of creative writing at the University of Glamorgan. He's he's obviously a poet, he has written numerous novels for young people, plays and radio short stories. His last collection, The Water Table, won the T.S. Eliot Prize and in that same year another book, a photographic collaboration, I Spy, Pinhole Eye, won the Wales Book of the Year. His latest collection, Deep Field, which will be on sale later, is a celebration, I think, of language in that it describes movingly what it means to lose language and whether it's possible uh, for us to find each other in the case of the Book of Father and Son particularly, sometimes in that space outside words. And I know Philip's going to be talking of this um, later on in the session as well as reading some poems from that. But I did just want to quote a line from an interview you did, uh, Philip, last year in the Daily Telegraph, talking about poetry, and he said, "Um, Don't be evasive or apologetic about it. Don't go around acting as if what we practice is an unimportant or marginal art. It is not. And I think that, if anything, sums up the theme of tonight which actually brings um, to an end a month in which uh, LSE has been turned into what one of Eva's young interviewees called a palace of poetry. Uh, over the last month, academics have been encouraged to read their favourite poems before lectures, and I think sometimes surprised students have heard the lecturers read a number of different poems, including uh, Pablo Neruda's Ode to My Socks, Ogden Nash's The People Upstairs, Laura Richardson's Louise May's Story of Her Life, amongst many others. There've been poems read in Spanish, German, Russian, French, and Mandarin, as well as English. And a films has been made of this, which I hope you, you'll get the chance to see at a later date. There's also been a poetry competition for students and staff organized um, through the Student Union, which we three have had the pleasure of judging. Um, and I know that many of the writers of the shortlisted poems are here tonight. They don't know if they've won or not, so it's a bit like the Oscars as well, and we'll be announcing that at the end of the evening. It's a packed evening, actually, so I just want to confirm our plan, which is that we are going to watch um, Eva's film of these five short um, lives in poetry, really, and then I'm going to hand over to Philip, Um, whose own poem, The Room Inside, was adapted as a film for last year's National Poetry Day, and he's then going to read. We're then going to have a discussion which will be opened up to the audience, and after the competition prize-giving, in the hope that you've been inspired tonight, you're very much welcome to join in a poetry slam, which will be happening outside with the chance to take in free refreshments along the way and so we hope we can persuade you to join us either in reading a poem or, or just enjoying them. Um, so now I'd like to hand over to Eva for Should the it? first British
2: yes. showing. Do I need this? No. You can come. If you, if uh, okay, you. I can. Right. Shall I? Okay, right. I, can, I can. Okay, so okay. I have a couple of things. Uh, First of all, I would like to thank... Yeah, with microphone. Okay, now can you, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, I would like to thank Alan Montefiore and the Forum for European Philosophy for inviting me here. Thank you and thank you all of you that you came to our event. Uh, Poetry Unites, my favorite poem, uh, is a program which promotes poetry and poetry readers. Uh, I created this for the Evans Foundation, which is a Belgian foundation and it has an office in Warsaw and I live in Warsaw and all the project is being done uh, in Poland. However, uh, it features people from around the world. It consists of short films, which you will see soon, and uh, it shows people who present their favorite poems and in the context of the poem, they talk about their lives. So far I made, actually, I don't know, does it work? Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, I made uh, around 80 film profiles, which were shown on the national TV in Poland, different festivals and different screenings. The youngest person was six years old, the oldest 94, uh, I uh, showed a house a housekeeper, uh, the, the professor, uh, people of different occupation, a handyman, a construction worker, and, well, all these people have in common one thing. They all have a favorite poem and actually I believe that everybody has a favorite poem, not everybody knows about it. Uh, Anyway, uh, annually I make around 14 films and six of them feature the winners of an annual contest for the best essay on a favorite poem, the contest which is open to all schools. Uh, and this year, we launched. I mean, we. I mean, the Evans Foundation launched two contests, one in Poland and one in Germany. We have six winners, and uh, the gala closing gala event will happen in Berlin in June at the Academy der Künste. And you are all welcome. The reception will follow and uh, in the future we are planning to move to other European countries. I may be back soon here (laughs) and will seek your assistance if the contest will, we are planning in two years to to move to UK and to do the same. Okay, so that's it, thank you. (laughs)
3: niezależnie od jego wielkości, 1354, czyli w Polsce, oprócz mniej.
2: One more thing, I heard that people who are sitting in the back, then they won't be able to see the subtitles, so probably if you could move closer the screen.
3: Poezja jest najlepszym antydepresantem. Jestem tego pewna. Według bergera czytelników poezji jest w każdym kraju, niezależnie od jego wielkości, 1354. Czyli w Polsce, oprócz mnie, jest ich 1353. I mam ambicje, aby wszystkich ich poznać. A jeszcze większą ambicją jest dla mnie to, by przekonać tych ludzi, którzy nie czytają poezji, aby po nią sięgnęli. Dużo pracy przede mną. Nazywam się Magdalena Chudyma. Urodziłam się w Jaśle i w Jaśle mieszkam, mimo że wcześniej mieszkałam też w Przostku, w Trzcinicy. Mieszkam z młodszą siostrą, bratem i rodzicami. Tato maluje obrazy, a mama jest polonistką, uczy w szkole. Chodzę do klasy matematyczno-historycznej. W przyszłości chciałabym albo uczyć w szkole tak jak mama, albo zająć się pracą naukową, czy sama pisać. Najbardziej boję się tego, że stracę radość życia. Boję się też, że zostanę sama, że nie będę miała przyjaciół i może to jest bardzo prozaiczne, ale boję się też psów, wstydzę się tego, ale... Czasami, kiedy na przykład mam trudny dzień w szkole, to lubię sobie pójść do biblioteki po lekcjach i nawet pobyć w towarzystwie tych książek, to jest taka magiczna atmosfera. gdy ktoś do mnie przychodzi i widzi szarą ścianę, to myśli, ale Ty masz smutny widok z okna, taka ściana zwykła, a ja za tą ścianą widzę te książki. Tam jest przecież biblioteka. Czytałam książkę Dom z papieru, gdzie pojawia się postać Blumy Lenon, która zginęła pod kołami samochodu, czytając wiersze Emily Dickinson. Potem, kiedy zobaczyłam w naszej bibliotece tomik Emily Dickinson, od razu pojawiła mi się ta scena, ten samochód, tomik wierszy i bardzo mnie zainteresowało, co stanie się, kiedy ja na to mówię. Emily Dickinson, wiersz numer 657. Mieszkam w pałacu możliwości. Piękniejszy to dom od prozy. O wiele więcej okien, drzwi można szerzej otworzyć. Wnętrza jak starych cedrów, objąć okiem się nie da, a w górze wieczny pułap, kopuła nieba. Goście najwyborniejsi, a jedyne zajęcie zamykać w objęciu wąskim obfite raju na Kiedy otworzyłam jej zbiór wierszy, otworzyłam właśnie na tym wierszu. To był pierwszy jej wiersz, który przeczytałam. Właściwie ten wiersz nie jest moim ulubionym wierszem Emily Dickinson, ale od niego wszystko się zaczęło. On był zaproszeniem, które napisała do mnie Emily, żebym razem z nią zamieszkała w Pałacu Poezji. I w tym miejscu mieszkam do dziś. Kiedy czytałam wiersze Emily Dickinson, miałam poczucie, że te wiersze płyną tak, jak płynie moja krew. To jest takie totalnie zgodne z moim życiem, że te wiersze są dla mnie. Emily Dickinson urodziła się w 1830 roku w Ameryce. Żyła właściwie w odosobnieniu, pisała w odosobnieniu, nie wiemy dlaczego. Być może dlatego, że była po prostu chora, bała się ludzi, ubierała się skromnie, w biało i wyobraża nią sobie jako taką skromną kobietę, która ma starannie uczesane włosy w taki pokorny kok, może lekko jest skarbiona, może taka biała plama na trawnikach Amers. Emily kochała zieleń, miała psa, kochała psy, ale bała się ludzi, a ja odwrotnie. Próbowałam pisać wiersze, jednak nie wychodziło mi to i wiersze aktualnie nie piszę, ale uwielbiam czytać. Jednak to czytelnicze życie jest w dużej mierze chyba lepsze od tego życia, od tej prozy życia. Żyje się dwa razy, a właściwie nawet nie dwa razy, tylko wiele razy i daje to takie poczucie takiej nieśmiertelności, takiego trochę przestrzenia się z tą śmiercią.
4: Kiedyś, kiedy to był wielki przemysł, to pięć minut wystarczało, żeby mieć brudne ręce, żeby mieć brudną odzież. Wszędzie był brud, pył. Stąd ambicją każdej pani w domu było mieć zawsze czyste okna. To był symbol, niepoddawany się, symbol walki. Był obyczaj, żeby to okno było ładne, żeby było widoczne. Nazywam się Ewa Mieszkam na Górnym Śląsku, w Świętochłowicach, od wielu, wielu lat. Chociaż urodziłam się w Cieszynie. Mam męża, mam dwóch wspaniałych dorosłych synów. Prowadzę jak Święta Połowickie Towarzystwo Samopomocy. Różne rzeczy robimy, wszystkie robimy dla mieszkańców miasta, szczególnie dla tych najbiedniejszych. Kocham Śląsk, Górny Śląsk. Kocham okna w familokach, kiedy pachnie węglem z pieców, kiedy dzieci biegną na sanki, a panowie furmankami rozłożą węgiel kocham sztanskie jedzenie, kocham sztąsaków. Kilkanaście lat temu trafiłam na pewien sonet Szekspira. Jest to piękny sonet, który mówi o potrzebie zachowania twarzy, zachowania ludzkiej godności i o potrzebie podniesienia czoła w każdej sytuacji, jakakolwiek może nas spotkać. William Shakespeare, sonet numer 49. Przeciw temu czasowi, jeśli ów nastanie, kiedy poczną Cię mierzić wszystkie moje wady, kiedy sumę rzuciwszy na czyjeś wezwanie, dodawał będziesz zyski i obliczam straty. Przeciw temu czasowi, kiedy mnie wyminiesz, ledwie okiem rzuciwszy grosik pozdrowienia, kiedy miłość zmienionym łożyskiem odpłynie, i ważne dla niej znajdziesz usprawiedliwienia. Przeciw temu czasowi umacniam się teraz, w wyniosłych murach wiedzy o mojej wartości. Tę oto rękę prawą podnoszę, niech wspiera słuszne Twoje powody do innej miłości. Chcąc porzucić mnie bowiem, prawa przywołujesz, ja, bo oszec nie umiem, Czemu mnie miłujesz? Jest to sonet o tym, że czasem trzeba się przygotować na to, że ktoś najbliższy może odejść. I że ktoś najbliższy może nawet ma prawo odejść. I musimy tej sytuacji stawić czoła. I ta sytuacja nie może nas zniszczyć, złamać. Często jest tak, że jeśli kogoś bardzo kochamy, to im bardziej kochamy, tym mniej ta osoba kocha nas. I chyba jedyną osobą, którą zawsze możemy kochać, możemy najbardziej kochać, jak tylko jest możliwe, to jest Pan Bóg. Dla nas wszystkich tu Bóg jest wielką wartością. I to jest ta jedyna istota, którą można kochać. Bez obawy, że Bóg nas strani. Bóg nas nigdy nie strani. Ten pierwszy Bóg obrazuje drogę mojego osobistego rozwoju. Sama długo dochodziłam do poczucia własnej wartości. Ja sama uwierzyłam we własną godność, we Własną, no w to, że jestem godna miłości i szacunku. W to uwierzyłam dopiero, może jak miałam 25-6 lat. Jest to sonet o miłości, ale chyba nie tylko o miłości. Jest to sonet o sile, którą kryjemy w własnym sercu. Gdy była po 40, zdarzyło mi się w bardzo przykry sposób i upokarzający mnie stracić pracę. Wtedy okazało się, że jestem osobą o gorszej wartości. Jestem dyskryminowana z powodu wieku. Wtedy musiałam powiedzieć nie. Ja jestem człowiekiem wartościowym. Poszukałam w sobie tego, o czym zawsze marzyłam, co chciałabym robić. Tym czymś okazało się to stowarzyszenie. Ci ludzie szukają możliwości godnego, uczciwego zarobku. Czasami przychodzą po chleb, bo ich do tego zmusza życie. Oni powinni mieć pracę. Staramy się dać im tą pracę. I ja zrobię tak, żeby oni tą pracę mieli. Naprawdę jesteśmy silni. Jesteśmy silniejsi niż nam się wydawało. Mocniejsi. O tym jestem sam. Uh, quand je vois, quand je
5: vois Paris... Comme ça, d'en haut, j'ai, euh, je suis un petit peu fier aussi de, de, d'appartenir à, à la France. Et euh, d'un côté, j'ai, j'ai un petit peu peur parce que j'ai l'impression que les, les Français ont... Certes, ils ont acquis les, des, euh, la démocratie et ils ont acquis plein de, plein de valeurs, mais j'ai l'impression qu'ils sont assis dessus et qu'on n'arrive pas vraiment à avancer. C'est un petit peu ma crainte par rapport à la France dans l'Europe. Je m'appelle Benny Recundo. J'ai actuellement 19 ans. Je suis né au Rwanda, à Kigali, c'est la capitale. Je suis venu en France quand j'avais 3 ans, avec ma mère. Elle était venue faire ses études en France. Et quand elle est arrivée en France, la guerre a commencé au Rwanda, donc du coup, on on est resté en France. Donc, ma mère est assistante sociale, elle travaille donc pour la mairie. Et, euh, c'est une femme géniale qui a su s'occuper de moi euh, toute seule. Et euh, On fait notre petite famille à deux. Elle m'a apporté un petit peu la, la discipline et euh, mon côté un peu respectueux des choses et des, des valeurs. Donc, euh, j'habite à Melun, c'est à 25 km de Paris. Mais euh, avec le train, c'est, euh, on est un petit peu proche de Paris et je viens souvent à Paris. Et, euh, je suis actuellement lycéen je prépare mon bac et je, que je passe, je passe mon bac l'année prochaine. Après mon bac, je voudrais être ingénieur en informatique. Euh, je n'ai plus de, de famille au Rwanda, donc euh, ceux qui sont restés sont probablement morts. Mais euh, j'ai ma grand-mère qui habite aux Etats-Unis, et euh, j'ai ma tante qui habite à Reims, et euh, d'autres personnes aussi qui habitent à Créteil. Ils sont un petit peu, un petit peu partout. Ma grand-mère euh, au Rwanda, ma grand-mère s'occupe des vaches. Vous avez beaucoup de vaches là-bas. On avait, c'était, c'était un signe de richesse au Rwanda à l'époque. Euh, mon grand-père était militaire et euh, son nom grand-mère était Tutsi ou tout. c'est, l'un des, de ses deux parents est euh, de Tuti et l'autre est Hutu. Et euh, donc du coup, on est un petit peu des deux. Et mon père est Tuti ou tout. Enfin voilà. Euh, par rapport au génocide au Rwanda, euh, en ce qui me concerne, je J'ai préféré refouler des choses qui étaient trop dures dures à admettre pour moi. Je pense que c'est un petit peu comme en Europe avec le low cost. Il y a beaucoup de gens qui qui ont préféré euh, refouler tout ce qu'ils ont vécu et qui ont passé plusieurs années sans en parler. et Je pense que c'est un petit peu ma réaction face face à ce qui s'est passé dans mon pays. S'il fallait mettre en quelque sorte une image sur euh, sur ce qui s'est passé au Rwanda j'ai vu, Je ne sais plus si c'était dans un film ou à la télé, une église avec des gens qui s'étaient réfugiés dedans et que des personnes avaient tué et en fait dans l'église, il y avait plein de morts par terre sur les bancs et sur le sol et il y avait quelques garçons qui marchaient dedans, dans les corps. Question de littérature, parmi les auteurs, j'aime beaucoup ce de... Les, les lumières, c'est, c'est un petit peu classique, mais j'apprécie beaucoup le, la manière dont les gens s'exprimaient à l'époque et euh, les tournures qu'ils utilisaient, cette volonté un petit peu de, 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 de se servir de la langue. Et euh, on l'a a un petit peu perdu, surtout, surtout dans la rue. Quand on parle entre nous, on ne voit plus personne euh, parler de bon français bien soutenu. La, la contradiction qu'il y a en moi, qui entre les lumières et Dada, Les Lumières représentent mon côté où il faut faut que je prenne de l'assurance, où où il faut que que tout aille bien. Et euh, Dada, pour ce côté un petit peu exceptionnel, des des, des petites folies qu'on peut se permettre dans la vie. Et euh, c'est les deux côtés qui s'entrechoquent en moi. C'est un poème de Redmond Desaigne. Le titre, c'est L'Empereur de Chine, qui a été écrit en 1920. Alors, point. 25 douzaines d'A, 7 douzaines de B. 75C, d 112 100N2, 57F, 40G, 35H, 200I, 20J, et 5K. Je pense que le message que porte ce poème, je le prends comme, comme une phrase qu'on pourrait résumer en éclaté ou. Ça signifie... Ça signifie sortir de l'ordre justement. C'est comme s'il prenait, euh, il prenait le poème, il le mettait dans une, dans une espèce de, de sac, il remuait, il faisait ressortir les lettres. On pourrait dire que Desseigne a inventé le scrap. S'il avait déposé le brevet à l'époque, <rire> il serait riche aujourd'hui. Voilà. Pour l'instant, les, 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 j'ai l'impression que la vie m'a toujours souri, que les, les choses vont toujours m'arranger, que tout va toujours bien, qu'il n'y a pas eu vraiment d'obstacles dans ma vie. J'espère que ça va continuer un petit peu comme ça. Et euh, plus tard, je voudrais avoir mon métier, enfin, continuer à aimer ce que je fais et réussir à, à vivre de ce que j'aime, à savoir l'informatique et euh, pouvoir créer des logiciels ou des, des jeux ou euh, des, des, des programmes informatiques. Et j'espère que je, je prends mes panniers et puis avoir uh, ma petite famille, mes petits enfants. Et un, petit peu de, 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 un petit peu comme tout le monde en fait.
6: Kiedyś robiono wykopaliska pod zamkiem, to legenda, że tam pod zamkiem jest całe drugie miasto. Coś w ludzkiej intuicji było, że my tu nie jesteśmy dobrze zakorzenieni. Nazywam się Radek Wiśniewski. Rodziłem się 30 lipca 1974 roku. Mieszkam w Brzegu od 8 roku życia. Studiowałem w Krakowie psychologię i nawet ją skończyłem. Moim najwierniejszym towarzyszem w mieszkaniu jest ten rudy jegomość, Nazywa się Nikita. Tutaj zaczynam dzień gdzieś między 6 a 7 rano, w tym jadę do pracy. Pracuję w Urzędzie Wojewódzkim we Wrocławiu. 41 km w jedną stronę, 41 km w drugą. A w domu jest drugi etat, czyli literatura, stowarzyszenie yy, telefonu i generalnie kontakt ze światem, wtedy za pośrednictwem komputera. Bardzo dawno założyliśmy trochę dla hecy taką grupę, którą nazwaliśmy Stowarzyszenie Żywych Poetów, przez kontrast do filmu, który wówczas szedł w kinach, Stowarzyszenie Umarłych Poetów. Naszą ideą jest, żeby zrobić z literatury bardziej sposób na życie, na przeżywanie przyjaźni, znajomości. Wiersz Głuchy Czerwiec Karola Maliszewskiego pierwszy raz usłyszałem w autorskim wykonaniu w czasie noworuskich spotkań z poezją. I już wtedy zrobił na mnie ogromne wrażenie. Karol Maliszewski, Głuchy Czerwiec. Kaplica jak ptactwo, co obsiada miedzę i wydaje głuchy krzyk. Słyszamy przez nielicznych. Przez nielicznych tak bardzo. Urodziłem się w okolicy pozbawionej katedry, luster wyższej wiary, pośród wzgórz kręcących się w kółko. Nasiąkałem pustką, niedzielą bez znaczeń i teraz nie słyszę, co w powietrzu drży i dlaczego. Za moją głuchotę pomódl się, czytelny, jasny i wytrwały. Ten tekst wyraża głód wiary, głód religii i idzie na tym rozpacz. Nie umiem się odnaleźć, jestem na pustyni. i Ja jestem głuchy i świat na mnie jest głuchy. Wydaje mi się, że jest wiele osób, które czują, że wierzą w jakiegoś Boga, ale nie potrafią się odnaleźć w tej religii czy też w tych religiach, które istnieją obecnie na świecie. W tym wierszu kryje się jeszcze jedna warstwa do odczytania. To nie ma tylko znaczenia religijnego. Te ziemie odzyskane, które są trochę jak niedziela bez znaczeń, pustka. Ziemia, która ma jakąś historię, której my nie znamy. Mi jakby odeszły i umarły razem z tymi ludźmi, którzy tu mieszkali przed nami, a my przyszli mi trochę jak przygłędy. Nie bez znaczenia jest to, że autor tego wiersza, Karol Małyszewski, też mieszka na ziemiach, tak zwanych odzyskanych podkreślam słowo tak zwanych, czyli w Nowej Rudzie. Zawsze się zastanawiałem, kto w zasadzie tę ziemię od kogo odzyskiwał. (tryk) Czy się w trafiłem do antykwariatu? I w tym antykwariacie antykwariusz oferował mi kancjona, pieśni kościelne, które były wydane w języku polskim, czcionką gotycką, w niemieckim mieście Brzeg przez rodzinę żydowską. Dlatego trudno jest mówić o ziemiach odzyskanych, bo te ziemie należą po prostu do ludzi. To miasto, w którym jesteśmy budowali i Czesi, i Austriacy, i Polacy, i Niemcy. W pewnym sensie te ziemie odzyskane mają szansę stać się teraz, kiedy nic już nie tłumi wolności myśli i można docierać do prawdziwej historii tej ziemi, nie przekłamanej w żadną stronę. Być może w ten sposób te ziemie naprawdę staną się odzyskane w swojej pełnej palecie barw. Mieszkam akurat w domu, z którego właścicielem, w zasadzie synem właściciela. Już się widziałem przez parę minut dosłownie. No, przyjechał do nas gdzieś na początku lat 90. Ten pan się zapytał wówczas, czy może na chwilę wejść do swojego pokoju. Okazało się, że to jest mój pokój. No i stąd jakby czuję się trochę też bardziej zakorzeniony. Nie czuję się do końca przy błędu. Na ja koniec się zapytał jeszcze, czy coś nam zostało, więc wszystko, co mieliśmy, z wyjątkiem jednego słoika, za jego zgodą, który został ze mną, wszystko inne. Oddaliśmy jakiś młynek do kawy, jakiś święty obrazek. Nie wiem, dlaczego żadne inne miasto, jeśli go nie wchłonęło. Najlepiej się czuję tutaj. Marzy mi się, żeby w brzegu żeby zrobił się snobizm na brzegu. Bardzo bym chciał, żeby to miasto stało się kiedyś snogistyczne, żeby to wypadało przyjechać do brzegu, żeby tak jak jest Kazimierz nad Wisłą, kiedyś z podobną intonacją głosu mówiło się, jest brzeg nad Odrą.
7: Podoba mi się moje imię Tenecja. Fenecję widziałam, tutaj tatę mu Taki kraj, takie bloki. Mówię, takie szyby, bardzo dużo te szyby, dla wszystko. Dzieci, jak nie mają domu, to idą do bloku, tam mieszkają, mają tam obiad. Niebieskie morze, niebieskie bloki, niebieskie yy. niebo. Chciałam pojechać do Wenecji. Miju, soskie cioro, ja Cię mam, ja Cię mam, cioro mi Mam na mnie Wenecja, Mirga, mam 9 lat, mieszkam w Kocarniku 57, w Nowym Sącu. Jestem czekanką i Polką yeah. Najbardziej lubię Ludzie Lubię cytać, malować, pisać Mrożenie, dodawanie, oddechowanie Mię, wszystkimi. mię Mię, mię, dziadkiem Sio. siotrom, inną siostrą, inną siostrą, inną siostrą. <toddry> Mam pieska kotka, kotek ma trzy kotki, piesek ma sześć, lis ma cztery, staję o siódmej. Myję buzię, myję zęby, stotkam włosy, ubieram się i, I idę już do szkoły. Malujemy, robimy choinki, cytamy. Najgorszy dzień to, jak chodziłam do pies, te takie kulki robili ludzie, i niedobrze mi tam, A, te, te, jak chłopczy, zapomniałam. Jak chodziłam do pies, to mi tam niedobrze. Bałam się, 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 się. Tu jak już poszłam do niej dobrze, dobrze mi klasie, dobrze tam koleżanki, fajne są uwagi i Pani Glińska, Pani dobrze mnie uczy. Pani zawsze sobie jest i Pani mi pomaga. Chciała być pan, taka jak Pani Glińska. Pani Glińska jest taka ładna, ładnie się maluje, Pachnie ładnie, ładnie ubiera się. Na no to wszystko.
1: Miałam
7: taki sen, że duch szyzybowy złapał mnie i rzucił do wody. Potwór to jest taki ten, co, co jest biały, wychodzi ogrom i rano, i to, Dorota Gelner, potwór, gdy potwór się śni, nie ma rady, Wychodzi z najgłębszej suflady i nie ma co pakać i szlochać, Lecz trzeba potwora pokochać, pochodzić z nim trochę pod rękę, pozyć. Mu buty sukienkę Przecytać mu bajkę Lub dwie No chyba ze książkę Nam zje Gdy rycy nie zdziwić Się wcale Lecz mówić Ach rycy z wspaniały I wołać Potworze kochani A nas wreszcie Stan śnić się Przestanie Ten wiersz mi się podoba Jest śmieszny. mi się smok, ale jego się nie boję. Gdy potwor się śni, nie ma rady, wychodzi z najgłębszej suflady i nie mam co pakać i szlochać, lecz trzeba potwora pokochać. Dziękuję, dziękuję, dziękuję.
0: Thank you. They were they were wonderful. I think it's really moving to see those lives, you know, just different lives, and to see the, such different ones one after the other. And I think we should all go make a booking right now to go to it. What was it? The, how do you it? The in-place, the latest in-place. <laughs> um, I just Before we move on, I just wanted to ask you a quick question, Eva. Um, one of the things, the, the main aim of the... Of the well, one of the main aims of the project is to actually reach out to shy people. And it was interesting seeing those, that they were talking quite deeply and quite wi- widely about their life. And I was wondering how important the, the poem, having the poem as the centre... Of, of the film was
2: mm-hmm. no, Absolutely, I, I noticed that people when they <coughs> talk about poetry, they tend to open up easier and it's easier to talk about your own emotions. And Well, right. I guess this is the, the idea of, of the project, yeah. which by the way, it was taken from Robert Pinsky, an American poet, who tried to do similar thing in in the States. <coughs> However, his focus was more on poetry, less on people. And the TV in the States ran just on the five pieces, and then they stopped mm-hmm. uh, broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. okay thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Can we move up to Tina, Yes.
8: Yes, this is complete serendipity that what you will watch next will be like a very small after echo or like a microcosm of the, that lovely exercise going on there because it's, it's one poem in which almost every line gets, gets shared out and is read by a reader who has adopted it somehow as their own. I've got a special angle on this because the poem, which is mine, or is it anymore? Discuss, that's (laughs) one of those interesting things about who owns a poem. One hopes, of course, no one. Where it started was on a school visit in, in a way, this was the very opposite of a poem that reaches out to the shy. It was being very aware that, that lots of the young people I met were getting tremendously good at performing themselves in public. They would make small videos of each other on their mobile phones at a drop of a hat so no problem and what I was writing in a sense was a plea for that inner life that place inside it's a poem called called Room Inside Uh, it's an irony because it's an argument for a private place and there was I doing it in a public medium but then a stranger thing happened which was that a couple of years after that, when I wasn't looking, it left home, and it was was it adopted by the organisers of, of, of the National Poetry Day in <laughs> the year before last, and they asked it if it would be okay if they filmed it. So, mm-hmm. yes, and then. They started handing it round readers and saying, which of these particular lines, each of which is an image of, of an inside space, of a private space, would you like it as your own? Which one sounds like you? And it comes back with a video which got lots of, lots of readers, not only voicing, one of these lines, if they've said, it, that's me. But it's it's filmed in whatever they regard as their own most private space, that they feel almost themselves. And isn't that just an image of what any writer would like more than anything else? That, that part of you has left home and has become. Entirely inhabited by its readers. You know, it's left home and it sent you all these postcards. There's nothing nice about it. Let's watch it if we can. <laughs> There's a room in my house where nobody goes except me. A still room, a light room. Where I got the right room. And any day, any time, a middle of the night room. Feeling low and slow or high as a kite room.
9: Feel free. There's a room in my house where nobody goes. There are cupboards and corners that nobody knows. Inside
0: me. There's a room in my house where nobody has been. Except me,
8: and just behind the face room, an orbiting in space room, an earthquake
6: shaking with the thumping of the base room, a somewhere to escape to outside the human race room. It
9: just closes your eyes, and you'll vanish without a trace. Room suddenly, there's a
4: room in my house where nobody has been. There's a view from my window nobody has seen inside me.
8: There are secret compartments that nobody's guessed. Except
4: me, a shadow room, a cool room. Chalky's man
9: in schoolroom.
8: A kid in the show's Hollywood parties by the a pool room. An old French bloke's embarrassed playing ballroom. A rusty-dusty bucket full of grandfather's tools room.
0: A locked trunk that might be full of jewels room. Possibly.
9: There are secret compartments that nobody's guessed. There's another
0: direction than north, south, east, west.
8: Inside me. There is a room that is private that no one can own.
7: Come and see.
8: A music room, a dance room, a thing was found quite by chance room, a jungle room, a tiger's in amongst the potted plants room,
2: a hiding from a hundred jolly uncles and strange aunts room,
4: no family, an ex master stock
9: room. I don't ask why. Why not room?
4: A sauna in the winter and a freeze when it's hot
9: room. A sail to the horizon in a little tin pot yacht room, with its own sea.
8: A cellar room, an, an attic, room. attic room, a semi-automatic room.
9: I can't
2: sit still because I'm too emphatic, sort of amateur dramatic room. Oh tragedy. There's a room that's private but that no one can own.
8: You can build one yourself out of breath freshly planted. There's a padlock that opens to nobody's key. Just knock and wait. Just knock and wait.
2: And when a voice says, who's there? Say, just me.
8: <laughs> ah. it seems it seems quite a leap from something that's as playful and public as that am I audible folks anyway yeah I uh, uh, what in some ways is a private book which is about my father's loss of languages but I I think there is is some clue there as to what it is about poetry more than any other writing that forms a bridge beyond borders and cultures. This is a man who Learned five languages in, in his running across Europe as a wartime exile and refugee. He spoke that, all of that language extremely well, better than me in a sense, So perhaps that's what made me a poet. In, in the last years of his life, that lovely structure of, of language crumbled from the inside out with first deafness and then aphasia which leaves you asking where is a person when they aren't in their words anymore where is a person when they aren't uh, perhaps in their memories anymore are they just beyond the screen or are we actually that that screen and I don't have answers what I've got in this In these extracts you'll hear are just part of that that, that reaching out and a sense of, of whether there is something either beyond language or in language which isn't lost irrespective of languages No peace in your deafness just clangorous muting then by degrees an expressive aphasia, say the doctor's notes. Too true. As if released from ninety years of reticence, your sentences unreal in grand gestural sweeps like Starling's wheeling, a high rhetoric in which only you seem not to know that the meaning is gone. Regathered elsewhere, maybe, but from here. It's all rattle and flux, till a stray phrase drops from your sky. up. but anyway, you know. You know where you are. Me? I'm the boy who turns at the call of a bird that seemed to speak a syllable. His name in the darkening wood. I wish I could say. We sat for half an hour in silence. Nothing needed to be said. It isn't true. You can't stop rattling a box of empty syllables. While something needs, it cries out for the saying. Is this it? I write on your word pad. I mine. Is this it? Or this? Help me. (coughs) who, looking in the window now, could say, which of us was the one deprived of speech? (coughs) We didn't lose each other in some space, but what we still had of each other was extremely hard, even afterwards, to express in words what I was increasingly aware of was uh, as the surface of his language we lost the part of language which is meaning but something stayed which if anything became more expressive and that was qualities of pure voice and it's dawned on me that, well, there are in fact findings that only a small part of the meanings transferred back and forth are actually, when we talk in the meaning of words, a lot of it is in, in the voice, in the gesture, in its rhythms, and kind of all the things that poetry knows about more than any other. Stiff in the connective tissues now. You're something of a dancer. Your hands shake the air. You nod. You almost curtsy to the words that spin away out of reach. What's left is what you feel and are. Clumsy and delicate. Those hands slip, fan and fold. As if tracing a palpable nothingness. The way a blind man's might. Discovering a face. Hardly daring believe who it is after so long. Your own face meanwhile in the midst of this quite possessed by grace might be too strong a word. Let's call it courtesy. And I'll leave it with the sense of, of language both got no voice, if you like, as the sea that language floats on, but also of it being always a journey. Ninety now, you're adrift on the vowel stream, the crisp edge of all your five languages gone, and we're back to the least of language. It's all one, your, his or my slight modulations of the bare vowel of animal me. Even there, how they give us away our vowel sounds, class, place, family secrets, the wrong school or side of the blanket or overstayed visa, let slip between one consonant and the next, erect a fence of plosives, dentals and fricatives as we will. In times of war and weather We can't stem the vowel flood It will swell, barely articulate No border can contain it It will seep, erode, find cracks It will break through
0: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Thank you. for that. Um, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions and then I want to um, leave um, room here for, for questions from the floor. But one of the things in both films and in your reading as well that, that came across was the purpose of, of poetry and sort of a, like a, a treasure that people could keep to themselves and, and use in their lives. Um, meaning and I'm thinking I read an article that you wrote Philip about how I think you were a very early teenager and you picked up um, a book of T.S. Eliot's poetry and although you didn't understand it it made your hair um, stand on end and I'm just wondering I think we're unique in this room but I'm wondering where somewhere along the line children lose this sort of Urgency and the desire to, to read and to write poetry? Is it, are we being too directive, and what can we do about that? Again?
8: I sometimes wish that, that we didn't teach poetry in schools at all, but made it taboo. <laughs> so, you know, anything if you like yeah, but not the poetry <laughs> trust that it would be a matter of weeks before <laughs> little whispers of poetry started circulating behind the light shades <laughs> it might be something to do with ownership
0: mm-hmm.
8: Can you say something more about that? no <laughs> <laughs> let that image speak for itself one what sort of ownership young people have with the thing they have found for themselves. If I had been given Eliot's wasteland absurdly to study in class at the age of 13, not what would I have made of it, really? But it became mine. I didn't know why, and when I studied it and analyzed it later well it added something but not in the place that we' But it but you know, yes so mm-hmm. that's not that's mm-hmm. my ownership mm-hmm.
2: oh. no, well but uh, I think it's very interesting to, to have this long-term uh, relationship with a poem for example uh, I remember a, po- a poem mm-hmm. which I read when I was. 10. It was by a Polish poet, Broniewski, probably you don't Never heard of him. And then I read it 10 years later, 20 years later, 30. And, you know, I still remember this emotion which I felt when I first read it. And in a way, it's an information about me when I was 10. So, that's why uh, I really think we should read poetry when we are five to seven, whatever. Uh, If we want to, yeah, it refreshes my memory about myself.
8: And I imagine all your other selves who read it on revisit since then. Yes. Um, I'm absolutely with you with, with the campaign for,
2: okay. for
8: for slow food. Yes. <laughs> as sense, yes. It, yes. As a thing that that certainly won't disclose all the meanings it might have for you at, at once, but you can read at intervals. You know,
2: yeah, probably it's also a thing with a memory and mm. forgetting. If we memorize a poem, it stays with us when we are at school. I I remember my father, he was able to recite Homer, all the great poets because he used to go to a good school in Poland. Unfortunately, after the war, we stopped. We were not forced to memorize poetry. However, it really exercises your memory. And then, as I said, it will give you the certain information about yourself. So let's treat poetry as a memory support.
0: But but it's not allowed. (laughs) It's just allowed. We do it secretly. (laughs) But that's interesting. It's interesting about the ownership and the the meaning and thinking a bit more about that, because um, we can talk about the personal Mm -hmm. meaning of poetry to Mm -hmm. us. But actually, in both your work and in the films that we saw, there was something about poetry allowing us to cross generational divides, geographical boundaries, and language as well. Um, And is that something, I mean, why does poetry do it more than prose, if it does indeed? Is it something beyond the actual construct of language? Does it go to rhythm? I'm thinking of that lovely nine-year-old girl who couldn't stop singing. Yeah. I mean, that was a nat—that felt so natural to her.
8: That's very much what I meant by, by. Way un- under the surface level of meaning in language, down in 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 the rhythms and feelings of pure voice. You mm-hmm. so that does. Translate much more than the surface does.
0: So we should always read poetry loud rather than on the
8: page? I would hope that even if, if other people can't hear it on the outside that you are at the very least reading it out loud inside your head. Mm-hmm. You can see what I mean? I, I do think it's also <laughs> a thing that changes it all over it again, to feel the actual vibrations of it inside, <coughs> your, inside your own ribcage. Mm. Uh, you are occupied by it in, in a different way. It's not only your brain, but it, it's your body that has been occupied by it. I
0: think we saw that in the film, The Room Inside. You know, every everybody speaking took a completely different mm. view of the poem that was written. my voice really and yet we had so many different voices and so many different meanings they
8: were really united very poetry i must Mm -hmm. say Mm -hmm. but what matters in my mind was that they were united in their difference Mm -hmm. that i've i've got a strong feeling about unity and i'm not sure that i would even say unity i would perhaps perhaps Concord is that it's richest and it's most interesting when you start with individuality and when I'm doing writing exercises in the school, it always looks as though we start by, by being very, very selfish because we will perhaps go out and walk and, and look at things with notebooks in hand and I say now don't show anyone else, don't say out loud what you've seen each of you see if you can spot something that nobody else has ever seen and you like, act like spies
0: <laughs>
8: <laughs> and the punchline the purpose of that is that we then come back and we share if we had been sharing from the outset someone would have said oh look that's interesting and everyone would have seen one thing as it is, we come back with 50 things, and we share this kind of glitter ball of impression, all those facets. Mm. Uh, And I think that that's real
0: sharing. Eva, just one question to you. Um, I've read so many times that there are more people in this country writing poetry than reading poetry. (laughs) And I think the average sales for a poetry collection is barely over (coughs) three figures. Um, Several of your um, interviewees in the films said very funny that they read poetry, but they didn't like to write it. Do you want to just talk a bit about the difference, maybe, between writing poetry and reading poetry?
2: Um, Well, uh, I am a reader of poetry. I I write short stories. I never uh, wrote poetry. And uh, I think that uh, from, from this, what, what I can say after this five years of experience with the project, that uh, majority of people who write to me, uh, they, at certain point, they used to write poetry. And then they decided that there are so many much better poems that one they were <coughs> capable of writing that they just switched to to being only a reader and well mm. let's uh, you know, it's, it's fantastic that, that there are so many of them and let's hope there will be more Do you,
8: do you have a feeling that there might be more of them in? Polish or generally European culture than in British because I've, I've got such a strong feeling that what we desperately need as a poetry world is more more gifted readers.
2: <laughs> you know what I don't know about Britain, but I know about the United States mm. and there are a lot of poetry readers there. Mm -hmm. And when Robert Pinsky started his project, he, actually I copied his idea, because he put the announcement on the poetry website, and I think he received (coughs) 20,000 responses. Well, it's a bigger country, of course, than Poland, uh, but uh, Mm -hmm. he was really surprised Mm that so many people he's associated with the Boston University. In a way, the project is still on, however, the films are not being made, but people write to them, or some of them, they record their favorite poems, and they have a database of all these people. I don't know, 100,000 poetry lovers, yes. Can we open the
0: questions up to the audience? Have you got anything you'd like to ask? are we having mic for the About
8: as far
0: away There's no pressure on this question now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: None whatsoever. Thank you. Uh, I'm a PhD student at the European University, a uh, student here, and I was actually uh, had a question from Ms. Jingska about the scope of her project uh, in terms of the countries that people were from and the interaction that this project might have facilitated. I myself am a sociologist of culture, and I'm interested in the relationship of culture and. Europe in its post-national modality. So I was wondering if that had any correlation in that sense. So, what countries, what people, and the interaction that happened afterwards through the outlet of poetry? I
2: wish, I wish, uh, I wish that all of them would be united at a certain point. But uh, so far, uh, I did some film in France, in Italy, in Israel, in the States. Germany, and
9: uh,
2: it happened simply like the, the you, you saw this guy from Rwanda. Well, one guy from Rwanda, he lives in France. Uh, it just happened. I saw him on a subway, and he was reading the letters of Madame Lafayette, and and. Somehow I, I liked his face, and I saw that he was, you know, the world didn't exist for him. So I asked him, "Oh, do you have a favorite poet?" I said, "Oh, of course, many." And he started to talk, and that's how I met him. And I think I met a wonderful person. Uh, so it's it's very difficult for me to make any statement. Uh, about uh, this relation, uh, I need to generalize because I can, I can talk about my experience based on this few films, but uh, let's talk uh, later mm-hmm. on, maybe you will come. I some <laughs> ideas how to make it a, a more meaningful science or whatever. No, no, but of course. The, it, the, the the poetry has integrating force it's uh, it's absolutely um, I'm absolutely sure about it and I noticed like I my, myself I participated in a poetry reading in the groups when we're reading poetry somehow like a few people in a room we all felt united in a way so the idea of this project came from this integrating force of poetry. And because I was applying for support for the foundation, um, European Foundation, I, of course, in my proposal, I put it as a first sentence that the project is supposed to Contribute to the integration of newly united
8: Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to, to ask you a, yes. some question of that. When you, you meet the obvious fact that not all of the poetry ever, ever written has been reconciling and uniting or kindly yeah, in you know. any way, you know, there are there have been famous war criminals who have been poets and people can can write hostile and nationalistic verse. Would we say that isn't truly poetry?
2: It's, it, it's just verse, or do we make the distinction? I, uh, I don't know. Probably it's a question I should ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have, I have uh, no idea, but of course there is poetry uh, of hatred, uh, but uh, I don't deal with it.
0: But the project set
2: up. <laughs> However, it might be.
8: That because it's a, it's a medium that that draws our attention not just to what language is doing but the fact that it's doing it it, you know, it still if people want to be swept away by a nationalistic sentiment they will be but it at least opens the possibility that people will see clearly what's going on and what kind of rhetoric this is because it is language that lays mm-hmm. itself out and says, look, this is me, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So at, at least there's more. Um, it's not simply rhetoric. It, it, and it, it, it invites more active reading.
9: Mm. Yeah. I hope. Well, there's
2: uh, actually I read this in the Guardian, I think, must be two years, <laughs> two years ago, <laughs> maybe three. That uh, that poetry has uh, works as uh, uh, anti-depressant in a way. Uh, they uh, they prove that many poems were written when the poet. Himself went through a depression while writing the poem, he cured himself. He went mm-hmm. like the mood changed, and there's similar uh, qualities. Have a poem when it's being read by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's so. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should ask you because you are a poet, <coughs> how, how do you like this theory that uh, the process of writing? for sure. sure it changes your mood.
0: But that comes back to ownership, doesn't it? I mean, who actually owns the poem, the person who wrote it, who it, is feeling this, or the but person who's reading it? Yeah, but, it. but this mm-hmm. is
2: uh, another, I, I'm talking about uh, another quality of...
8: I don't poetry. write to make myself feel better.
2: I mean, No, better. no, I'm not talking that you want, but it happens when, when a poem is good. And I
8: don't write to find comfort I do maybe write to find clarity mm-hmm. and I might become clearer about actually quite a, a bad feeling I've, uh, I might only realise how sad I am or angry I am or that what is going on is actually grief once the poem finds it for me I, it, mm-hmm. I don't write for, for the purpose of expressing a feeling anyway but sometimes <coughs> when I find one I think, ah, oh. that's what you were saying, thank you for but letting me trust, know Trusting the poem Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and then it leads home mm-hmm. like I said
0: mm. oh. <laughs> Can we, Are there any other questions? Anything maybe on what, what overhears?
4: Thank <laughs> <laughs>
5: Thank um,
0: Obviously this is hosted by the Forum for European Philosophy, so I was wondering what you think the relationship between philosophy and poetry is? and what, or, or, more simply, why this is being hosted by the Forum for European Philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> because
8: they're exceptionally nice people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am very resistant to thought that poetry is all about emotion. I, I want to be writing in, in a way that accommodates ideas as, as well. When I say as, as well, I think what what makes a poem is, is when you've got got a marriage or, or a kind of Fit, so that you can not, almost not see the boundaries between thought and feeling and, and physical sensation. You know, then it's working. Whether, whether you think that's an aid or an enemy to the, the kind of abstraction that's, that's necessary in philosophical thought, or whether you think it's useful grounding of it, I'm not sure you or some
0: philosopher might need to answer
8: that <laughs>
0: I think going back to answers, for me as both a reader and a writer of poetry, the best poems, when, and you talk about finding meaning and you know, I said about trusting the poem, but for me the best poems aren't the ones that have the answers, they're the ones that ask the questions, and I think that's a, for me that's a, a fit with as well, you know, you don't want a poem that kind of sums up and ties up everything, that's it and that's it but it's the ones that we can all take in, in completely different ways because there's a question there that either we're asking or that we're, we're looking for another question sometimes as well once then. Any, any more questions?
1: Um, Eva, I thought the films were so beautiful, and I think the reason it works so well is that it weaves poetry with the lives. And, you know, I often wonder, uh, I don't know very many people in the U.S. I live in New York, mostly, and uh, I don't know too many people who read poetry, but I go to a lot of poetry readings, and almost everybody I meet at the sessions are writers of poetry, not readers. Um, <laughs> I think there's something really special about Poland, though, and I, um, I, three of my favorite poets, Symborska, Milosz, and Zagiewski, love them so much, and uh, they're right at the top of my list, and I, I went to um, the Poetry House, uh, which is a place in New York, to hear the uh, translator of, of uh, Zagievsky and Claire Cavett, Claire,
2: Claire Cavett. She translated
1: the poems. <coughs> oh, did she? Yeah. yeah. And she was talking about translating Zimborska. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, there was a reception, and um, me being alone amongst poets, always feeling a little intimidated. I was standing next to this gentleman who also stood out in the crowd because he was first the only african-american there and also a huge man and I turned to him and I said are you a reader or a writer of poetry and he said oh I translate Polish poetry I'm a professor he seemed like he was about 22 but um, And he translates uh, Polish poetry and I said well, how did how did you get to do that? And he said that he worked at um, an automobile repair shop in New Jersey where they had the largest Polish population in the US and that when people sat and waited for their cars to be fixed they recited poetry to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love this story, wow. it's so unlikely. So and sorry. they were- I, I his name. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had it. Um, but he was so unique and, and he said he learned Polish just so he could understand what they were saying. Um, and they were reciting it from memory, which I just thought was so cool. But <laughs> I, I guess if there's a question to this, I, I would say, what, what is it about Poland? that makes readers and writers.
2: You know, we have fantastic poetry for young children, kids, and they are perfect. And they were written 40 years ago, or 30 years ago. However, I think that it makes a big difference that there are poems written by Brzecha to me and they are just fantastic they open up eyes and ears of the young generation mm. so
0: yeah we need to we need to um, move on I think we could carry this discussion on but hopefully um, if there's anything to be learned you will all go home and read a poem. After you have spoken a poem at the Poetry Slam or heard some poetry and also learned by her, and the next time you go and get your car serviced, <laughs> 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 I expect there should be a discussion. I want to invite up um, Maria Rosalo, our philosopher for the presentation of the LSE Poetry Competition Prizes, but before she comes up, can I? will you join with me in thanking Uh, Philip Hanneba for a very stimulating
9: discussion. Um, I'd just like to say a few words about Philosopher's, which is a publication um, a group of us for students at LSE and at Burbank have produced this year. Um, So, Philosophers is in its second year, and this is our second edition. And Basically, the aim was to combine poetry with philosophy, or rather to to explore philosophical ideas through poetry. Um, So, what happened is last year, um, Dr. Christina Marshall, who's a lecturer here in the Department of Philosophy, um, approached and asked us if we would like to um, produce a special edition, which would complement in particular this event. Um, So, we decided to take the theme of the festival, which is relating cultures, and what we did is we asked entrants um, if they would like to submit a four-line poem um, which looks at a particular um, idea or philosophy from a specific uh, region of the world. And then what we did is we, um, we selected 20 of those four-line poems and we published them here in this edition and called the edition Around the World in 80 Lines. Um, so if you want, you can pick up a copy after the event. We've also published the winners of the poetry competition, uh, which we'll be announcing shortly. Um, they'll be available on the sides just here and there, so um, do help yourself to a copy and be able to read a poem tonight.
0: <laughs> and the winning poems, I should say as well, are all going to be in the Clare Market Review from Wednesday next week. So just the poetry competition, as I said, we the three of us... Um, judged the uh, the poems. They were all um, individually, individually uh, sort of printed off and anonymous and we gave them I think it's fair to say a thorough and very interested reading across three countries yes. <laughs> I have to say at times um, and that each one had very different qualities so the shortlisted poets all here should be Um, very proud of themselves. We enjoyed them enormously. So I'm going to announce the winners in reverse order, starting with the two highly commended prize winners, which if you could both come up for your prizes, Angus Wren for his poem, When Drawing Up Your Will, and Sam Williams for Fishing. in second prize uh, second place with her poem the modern laugh could I ask Adeline Pelletier I'm sorry I pronounced that wrong to come up is Adeline here she's not here Nope. Okay. Um, and we have a second prize because actually, um, and we did think about this quite a lot, <coughs> our first prize winner had two poems that we considered were worthy of prizes. And we um, actually, and it, I think all of us, as I say, it was unanimous, couldn't believe that the same person had written them. So credit to Elizabeth Feister for her two poems. <laughs> mind you, there's drinks outside. Um, Philip and and I actually have our books on sale and we we can sign them for you if you want. Um, But do stay for the Poetry Slam, which will also take place. You don't have to read a poem, you can enjoy a poem, but hopefully, um, certainly Elizabeth and me, Angus and Sam will will read that poetry and persuade you to do that. And final thank you to our winners and also to our panel.